Hi guys, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast in partnership with Cohen, the dedicated OKR platform. Today we're going to dive into a very interesting topic and that's how to use neuroscience to support effective OKR implementation. What triggers people to feel unsafe and what can you do as a leader to make your employees feel safe? I have Dr. Sam Mather with me today. Sam has worked internationally with diverse companies from charities and SMEs to blue chip organisations. Working across all areas of the employee lifecycle, Sam has been instrumental in designing and implementing solutions to enable employees, in particular leaders, to get the best out of others. So before we get into today's really interesting topic, Sam, please can you give our Giant Talk listeners a brief introduction to yourself? Sure, thank you. So, um, as you said, I've had over 20 years experience in blue chip organizations developing talent, primarily leadership talent. Um, and what I became very aware of was that people join organizations very positive and motivated. Um, and then after the honeymoon period, that seems to disappear. Uh, and there are a lot of um behaviors going on that are not always what the organization might want. And that triggered my interest uh, initially in neuroscience. Um, And then I had an opportunity to study further and I did my PhD with uh, the neuroscience slant looking at psychological safety in organizations. Because what I was realizing is that People, when people don't feel safe in organizations, their behaviors are not necessarily aligned with the goals that the organization want to achieve. So I had the opportunity to study that, which I've done. Um, and now uh, I, I lecture, I write, I do podcasts um, around uh, how leaders can help their employees feel safe and importantly, why they would want to do that from a brain perspective. Thank you, Sam. And as I've said, this is a very interesting topic. And right from my first conversation with Sam, I've been really looking forward um, to doing this podcast. So um, I'm going to jump straight in and ask you, what is meant by the term psychological safety? Psychological safety was actually first coined before Amy Edmondson, which is the person who's most often associated with psychological safety. But in 1990, uh, William Kahn coined the phrase when he was looking at how people engage with the workplace and talked about in order for people to give their whole self and commit their whole self to an organization, they needed to feel psychologically safe. Edmondson then polished that in the context of teams to say it's a It's a state where people feel that they can be authentic, they can voice their opinion, they can challenge and make mistakes without fear of any repercussions to them, either personally or professionally. Um, And that was in the context of teams. My research then took that further to say, well, what does it mean from an individual perspective? Um, And I looked at the not only people being willing to contribute and voice their opinion, but also being able to from a cognitive perspective as well. So it's about feeling a level of safety to allow you to express yourself in whatever form you want without any 
penalties. Yeah. So now we know what is meant by the term psychological safety. What triggers are there? So what triggers people to feel unsafe at work? There can be many, uh, depending on people's experiences. But what we do know is that the brain is pre-programmed or hardwired, if you like, to look out for threats. It's a survival mechanism. Um, It hasn't evolved much in 10,000 years because it's doing really well. Here we are as a species, we're we're surviving very well. Um, And we are pre-programmed to look out for triggers that prepare our body to either fight or run away. Um, And those triggers haven't really changed. Our environments change and the lifestyle we live has changed, but the triggers are the same. Um, And so there are five key triggers that we are we will react to unless we're aware of them and unless we've um, learned to respond differently. Um, And so the five triggers that we will always respond to in a in an emotional way first of all um, and we all know this we've all experienced this competency so that feeling you get when someone says to you can I just give you some feedback okay that's an emotional response emotions are just messages from the brain and that message is going hello there could be a potential threat here um, someone's coming in um, with a, a criticizing your competence. Another one is consistency. So um, from a survival mecha- uh, perspective, it makes a lot of sense to assume that anything out of the ordinary, it's safer to assume it's a threat. So, for example, your boss comes to you on a Friday, five o'clock on a Friday and says, can I see you in my office at nine o'clock on Monday morning? Mm-hmm. Your first response will be, "Uh uh-oh, what have I done? Because it's not consistent. That is not what normally happens. So the brain will be pre-programmed to think that's a threat. Control. Nobody likes being told what to do. From about the age of two, thus the terrible two tantrums, we start to kick back about against being told what to do. So when people feel they've lost control or they don't have control of their destiny, they're more likely to see that as a threat and that will trigger an emotional response. Um, Connectedness. We have safety in numbers. We've always been a, a tribal species uh, there's a lot of research about in groups and out groups um, and people want to be part of the in group because there's a sense of safety so anytime your connectedness is being threatened you will have a response to that um, and that's often why people want to be liked the high drive to be liked and to be included and the final one is cause So to keep this machine called the human body going takes a lot of physical, emotional and cognitive energy. If you want me to invest that in something, I need to know why, because otherwise I might be investing something which will not aid my survival. So they're pre-programmed, they're natural responses. And we still have them in the workplace. And those are going on unwittingly. We see they're happening all around us. Um, And for the people who are not aware about this response 
or they haven't got enough resources to be able to manage the response. They'll react mm -hmm. in an emotional way, whether it's anger or tears or passive aggressive, there will be a reaction to that. And if leaders are aware of that and what the natural response would be, then we can start to in change the way we interact to start to create a safe environment. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting listening to those five key triggers. And I'm sure many of our listeners, like me here talking to you, is sitting along nodding, nodding my head, because especially those examples that you gave, um, you know, you can relate to that in situations where you've been in. And um, you felt those, um, you know, that um, response when you've uh, called into a meeting on a, on a Monday and you're told on a Friday. So, yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. So you, you've touched on it there and I think it's that acknowledgement from leaders. But what can a leader do to create a safe environment so that people can, can make mistakes, they can do things differently and be creative? Absolutely. So I think the first step is becoming aware of the brain and the brain's response and understanding that um, it's perfectly natural for people to kick back when they're being told what to do. So I think there's a piece about understanding your leadership style. I'm not saying that there's never a point where you have to move into a telling mode. Absolutely, there is. There are situations where it's time pressure needs to be told. But if that is your only leadership style, then eventually it almost becomes less effective. Mm -hmm. So be flexible with your leadership style. If you want innovation, if you want people to be creative, if you want challenge, if you want constructive conflict, people need to feel safe. So one of the greatest things is create um, an environment whereby it's okay to get it wrong. Yeah. Innovation comes from mistakes and we learn. If the same mistake is being repeated time and time again, then somebody's not learning from it. But it's create an environment where people can come up with ideas and you can go, interesting, let's run with it. And there will be no penalty, either financially or career-wise, if that doesn't go right. There are organizations that look, they talk about creating fast failure. So give it a go. If it doesn't work, recognize that very quickly so we can move on rather than try and cover it up. Yeah. So experience that there's, there is no failure, there's just learning. Um, um, Enable control through coaching. Coaching, great tool to help with that. Um, be able to tell stories. There's a lot of research coming out now around the, the um, relationship between good leaders and good storytellers. Mm -hmm. And that's because from a brain perspective, stories was the original way we learn. That's how we, we can still, at, the, at the, a grand old age, still remember the story of Mary Had a Little Lamb. We can still remember the story of Rumpelstiltskin all these years later. And that's because they create emotion. And if you want people to remember things, you need to create an emotion, preferably a positive one, because the part of the brain that generates emotion is also the part that stores memories. So rather than give people just the facts about something, create a story, create an emotional connection about why you're doing it in the context of OKRs. Why are we doing this? What's the emotional side of it? What's in it for them? And in doing that, 
you'll get the heart and the head bought in and you'll reduce the threat around cause. People will know and they will also have a connectedness. Lots of tips and tricks around how leaders can do this. What's your language? What's your, how, you, how you communicate things? There's lots of organizational terms that will automatically trigger, uh, uh-oh, things like right-sizing or downsizing or improving efficiencies. They all trigger usually a negative emotional response in people, so don't use them. Find another way to tell that story. So there are lots that leaders can do. But one thing I would say is it is not 100% the leader's responsibility to make somebody feel safe. My research shows it's 60%. The other 40% is down to that individual. And so leaders need to enable individuals to have the time and the space to create their own psychological safety. And that's really simple stuff like make sure they rest, make sure they take their holidays, make sure they're eating and drinking well, make sure that they um, are having time out um, and that people get support that they need so that they're able to build their own cognitive resources as well. So I think if you're a leader and you're wondering whether your team are feeling safe or not. The challenge is if you ask them, how are you? If they don't feel safe, they're going to go, fine, I'm fine. So what are the sort of clues? And there are clues. So um, does everybody copy everybody else on emails? Loads of copies, because that's a CYA, cover your you-know-what strategy. BCC it's even worse. You know, if you're using BCC, I mean, that's just underhand. That's a sign that people are not feeling psychologically safe. Another one um, is uh, lots of people in meetings just saying yes. So you almost want conflict. You want people to go, you know what, Carly, I don't agree with you that. I see where you're coming from, but this is my view. You want that healthy debate. You yeah. don't want yes people around you. Because the healthy debate is what brings about innovation. Um, passive aggressiveness. Yes, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. But they only do it if they have to really, really push. And finally, politics. If it's a highly political environment and people are wheeling and dealing and trying to work their way, how would I influence this one? How, I would argue that that's a psychologically unsafe environment rather than going up to people and going, you know what? This is what I want. This is where I want it. Uh, is that all right? How can we work it out? So they're just sort of clues that you that even if you ask somebody and you said, do you feel safe? Um, they may they may agree, but what's going on, what's happening may be different. And, and this is the challenge with running internal questionnaires. If people, the fact you have to do it anonymously tells me that it's not safe for a start Um, but um, also people can be very suspicious so it is a difficult thing to root out but there are clues and there are signs. I think it's yeah there's some good clues there and I think um, it's probably even more important to pick up on those clues um, when you're not now seeing your team face to face um, as people are either fully remote or 
they're working in like a hybrid environment, especially those clues, like you said, um, on emails, but meetings, if they're on Zoom, like you said, and people are just yes and there's, there's not that that healthy challenge there so yeah I think it becomes even even more important to, to focus on picking up on those clues or those signs what does this mean for OKR implementation and what effect does this have on setting goals as we know with OKRs there's kind of an acceptance that you might not get it right the first time and you might need to tweak. And there's an iterative process around developing your OKRs and tweaking them. If, if the mindset of the organization is you've got to get it right first time and if you don't get it right, you will be penalized, your OKRs are going to fall flat. So very much we need the mindset of learning and growing and listening to all options, being collaborative with people. As a leader, be authentic and be vulnerable and go, you know what? This is new to me as well. Let's work it out together. Things will will work amazingly, but there will be be things that we need to change. So the whole leadership style needs to be inclusive and be safe. And importantly, what what you say and what you do need to marry up. Mm -hmm. So the brain has a very strong error detection which is how we can tell, you know, when somebody smiles and you go, that's not a genuine smile. What we're seeing is the error detection. We're picking up going, well, what they're saying and what they're doing is not the same. So there needs to be almost like a holistic approach, a systemic approach to implementing psychological safety. So if you're saying on one hand, we want you to be uh, innovative. We want you to come up with creative ideas. We want a little bit of challenge and conflict. And yet, your reward systems are based on achievement of projects. The, the two are completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to succeed if I want a bonus, but you're telling me it's okay to fail. Well, the two don't match. How, what is your uh, promotion criteria? So somebody may have been involved in lots of OKR implementations, which have tripped and had to be redone. Does that mean they're any less of a leader mm-hmm. or less worthy of promotion? So to create an environment for its successful innovation and OKRs, you need to look at the whole system, your policies, your procedures, your leadership, your reward systems. And, and have a, a systemic approach to creating an environment in which people want to try something new and they're willing to. And in terms of goal setting, big recognizing that goals are agile, things change. Mm-hmm. And, and just because it's a goal, um, how are you measured against that goal? That's really important as well. So unfortunately, it's not a quick fix. And the other challenge is psychological safety is gained vicariously. So I may be in a team where my boss is amazing and we feel very safe, but I'm looking at your team and I see that your manager isn't that. But just by seeing that, that reduces my psychological Mm. safety because I'm thinking, well, if the organization allows that and allows that behavior, that could easily happen to me. So your psychological safety is only as strong as your weakest leader. 
Yeah. And I think that learning and growing um, that you mentioned is key. And it's something that we talk a lot about at There Be Giants in, in testing, learning and adapting when it comes to, to your OKR implementation. What are the common mistakes that leaders can make or that you see leaders make um, when it comes to trying to, to build that um, psychological safety in, in their organisation? I think... The, we've talked briefly about the language, about how you how you communicate things. Um, I think there's also a belief that logic is enough to get people to buy buy in. So here's the logic, and usually the logic is financially based or uh, uh, driven by environment. Logic is a really good good thing, but it's also a mistake to think that human beings are logical. Actually, we're our emotional part of our brain, our emotional connection is far stronger than any logic. Just go and buy a car. People are buying cars. There may not be a logical reason about it. They just have an emotional connection with this car. This is the one I want. And so recognizing that you need to engage heart and head. And the way to do this is by allowing people to feel safe. And if you want people to be smart, if they feel threatened, they won't be able to do that because what will happen is when you feel threatened, cortisol and adrenaline goes up, as we know, fight or flight. But as that goes up, the smart part of the brain, the dopamine, the serotonin, neurotransmitters, they get deprioritized. So leaders, by using uh, almost the, the stick rather than the carrot, mm-hmm. all you're doing is you're taking the smart part of the brain offline yeah um and you want you want someone to be innovative no point using a stick um so and also uh, and i think there's a piece around um leaders being aware of their own impact on other people both consciously and not consciously we all have an impact on every every person we touch yeah what do you want that impact to be and what are you doing about it So it actually starts with leadership self-awareness, being comfortable with vulnerability, being able to flex your leadership style um, and recognizing that people are individuals. You may have a very high need for connectedness, for example. Me, less so. By understanding your people, you can flex your style. Yeah, thank you. And and what what do you predict will happen if leaders don't take notice of this? And if we continue to see toxic workplaces with employees not feeling safe? And when we last spoke, you mentioned um, a real shocking statistic to me um, that toxic workplace culture costs businesses some two hundred and thirty three billion. Yeah, over five years. to 2019. So do you see this increasing? I think in a way, COVID has kind of put this under the spotlight mm-hmm. because the successful leaders during COVID were the ones who connected emotionally with people, who were able to say, yeah, I know what it's like. I'm having to homeschool as well. Who were able to go, how are you doing? Who were able to help people feel a little bit safer. And I think that I worry that as we go back to the workplace, we go back to to old the old ways. And we have a talent shortage right now. It's a buyer's market. 
And I think that having been through COVID and people seeing and experiencing a much more empathetic and supportive leadership, I don't think they're going to tolerate the, 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 the sort of command and control leadership as we go forward because they don't have to because we have a talent shortage. They can go mm-hmm. somewhere else. So I think the, the, the organizations that will succeed going forward are the ones who have employees who feel psychologically safe because they will be the ones who are engaged, innovative, committed, smart thinking, connected, collaborative. If you don't have that as an organization, I think you're going to suffer. So the smart organizations will recognize this. So I'm being optimistic. Mm -hmm. I'm believing that people are recognizing that leaders need to do things differently. And in doing so, I'm hoping that these toxic workplaces, which are not acceptable from from a human moral perspective, let alone a a neuroscience perspective, that these will become old school and fade out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's important. I guess you've mentioned that um, being under the spotlight because of COVID and and the effects and, you you know, that being a buyer's market at the moment um, and also the effect that these toxic workplaces have and, and the culture um has on, on recruiting new talent as well especially as, as people leave um and then they open up about the, the toxic workplace that they've been in um, and it can become difficult for organizations to then um not only retain but but recruit talent as well so that's um definitely key i do have a hypothesis that um uh, we look back and we're shocked that people mm-hmm. ever smoked in an office. It's like, how could that be allowed? I mean, that's horrific. Um, and I have a hypothesis, like in 15 years, people will look back and go, how could that be allowed that people were put under so much stress? Because cortisol yeah. in a short term, cortisol is really useful for the body. But over the long term, it's a toxin. Um, and that's why you have such a correlation with stress and heart attacks and strokes and weight gain and unhealthy living. And we will look back and it will only take one person to take their organization to court for, I don't know, unhealthy practices that will realize that actually it's not acceptable Mm -hmm. to make people ill. Yeah, no, absolutely not. So you've already given us a lot of top tips and pieces of advice. But for those that recognise they have a low psychological safety in their workplace, can you give us maybe one more um, piece of advice for where they can start to foster a culture of safety? Where can they sort of begin? So if you're, it depends if you're a leader or an employee. So if you're an employee, um, take ownership and responsibility for your own psychological safety. Don't outsource this to other people. Okay, so in doing that, make sure that you have um, a lot of positive resources going into your brain. So block out as much of the negative that you can. So don't sit with the the victims in the pity party at work because that will just put negative resources into your brain. Don't listen to, um, I don't know, the latest COVID webcast if it brings you down. So do something you love and makes you feel good every day and avoid the energy vampires, okay, because they will not help you. And start to understand what brings you joy, what what your purpose is, and and, and, and almost create a bigger purpose than your job. 
Okay, then the job will be less of an issue. If you're a leader, what I would say is that you need to start building your team. So that you need to start to develop um, a common team goal and purpose and get people to know each other on a very connected level and start to build trust with you and between each other. Um, and the trust is critical around you doing what you say you're going to do and being honest and being vulnerable and recognizing that you are not the be all and end all in terms of it. As a leader, you are merely there to set other people up for success. Um, and in my book, I talk about having an ego light leadership. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. You're there to serve your team. So change that shift of mental thinking to, to recognize that it's all about others. Thanks, Sam. It's really interesting. And I think just going back to what you said previously about um, it being 60% on the leader, but also 40% on on the employee itself. Um, also, you know, leaders are, are employees themselves as well. Of but course, yes. Also, that onus on, on, on you as the employee and not just sort of, um, I guess, relying on the leader to, to set that. Um, and you touched on your book there, so I'll pop a link in the show notes to, to Sam's you. book um, for you to find out some more um, and to read up on Sam's uh, fascinating research. So I'll pop a link in there. Thank you so much for joining us for, for today. It's been such an interesting topic um, and I hope that can, those listeners can really take some, some key points from that. I definitely have from my very first conversation with Sam. And thank you for you, our Giant Talk listeners, to tuning into another episode of Giant Talk. We're always looking for feedback, so if you'd like to get in touch, you can get in touch with us at growth at therebegiants.com. Thank you again to Sam, and thank you for listening.